0: New Hope. Today's reading is from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 25 through 31. And it reads, To whom then will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts and numbers them calling them all by name, because he is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even the youth will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They should mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We spend a lot of our lives waiting. I've got some data to substantiate that statement. On average, we wait 32 minutes to see our doctor. We wait 28 minutes in security at the airport. 21 minutes if you have a significant other waiting for your significant other to get ready, and you can turn to one other now and identify who that person is. It's usually one person in the relationship. Uh, we wait 15 minutes on average for table to restaurant, seven minutes for coffee, and that is worth every minute, in my opinion. We wait 13 hours each year on hold for customer service. That means, this is so depressing, that means we'll spend 43 days of our life on hold. Jeez. We wait 50 hours each year in traffic, the average American will spend two years of their life waiting in line, six months at traffic lights, and in total Americans spend 37 billion hours waiting in line somewhere for something. We spend a lot of our lives waiting, and yet we also hate to wait, amen? I, let me clarify, I hate to wait. I finished the first service and my lovely wife who's painting said, oh, you're preaching to yourself today, are you? <laughs> and I said, you just focus on your painting over there. <laughs> Thanks for Jess and Corey for painting. Uh, yes, I hate to wait. There, there's a story I came across, the Houston airport. Uh, they were getting a lot of complaints on one particular uh, baggage claim that people were having to wait a long time. So they investigated and they, they did a lot of changes. They got it down to eight minutes. From when you arrived at the baggage claim until your luggage arrived, and that's an average. That's on average for the United States. That they hit the average. Still, the complaints came in. So, what had an ingenious idea? Uh, they they moved the gate for that baggage claim as far away as they could. <laughs> so, from there on out, people were walking on average four times the distance. But when they arrived, their bags were there. Zero complaints. We'd rather walk four times the distance than to have to wait for anything. We hate to wait. Why? Waiting is that that disastrous space between where we are and where we want to be, or where we feel like we have to be, or between uh, not having something and getting that something that we think that we need or we want. It feels like wasted time or or wasted space. And this is heightened, I think, living in our world, in the Western world, where instant gratification seems to be the new norm for everything. Everything's quicker and faster. Sociologists are calling this now the Amazon effect. I think those of you who are older like me, do you remember when you ordered a package and you had to wait like one to two weeks? And we were okay with that. Now, like literally, if we don't have it within two days, we're angst ridden. And I hear that they're gonna start delivering by drone within the hour you can get your toilet paper, whatever you run out of. And there's nothing inherently wrong about that, but it creates this world and this context that everything that we want and need, we can instantly get it. Those of you, again, who are older, young people, I see some of you up in the the balcony, you won't even know what this is, but do you remember dial-up internet? (laughs) What, what is that? took a whole night to download a movie. They were like, whoa, we got it. And it was like, it sounded like a plane taking off. And I was like, you're like, Now it's instantaneous. Every time I call our internet provider, they're like, sir, we have a package now that's four times faster than your present one. I'm just like, it's already really fast. I'm super excited. So uh, we, it, we're, we're, we're in our minds, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, and our brains are honed to wanting things faster and faster and faster and faster. And faster. That makes the precondition of having to wait that much harder. And yet, when we come to Scripture, we come to this season called Advent, waiting is a huge component of it. We're in Advent's beginning of the church calendar. So don't worry about the, the Roman Greco calendar. That's the other calendar. It doesn't really matter that much. We're in the church calendar. The followers of Jesus all over the world in turn to every single year. Advent's the beginning of it. We get an opportunity again. This year, how cool is this? to re-enter and reimagine our story, to relive it, to redeem it. And so we're starting to enter that, and yet advent, the season, is all about waiting. And we're going to consider two prophets today, and they speak for the majority of the voices in Scripture. They don't see waiting as wasted time and space, but they see waiting as something good and beautiful and true, that waiting can pull light. Out of the darkness. first prophet we're going to look at is is a prophet named Jeremiah. And let me put you contextually kind of where we're at. Denise mentioned this a little bit last week. Because we'll get to Isaiah. Isaiah is our other prophet. Every message in this Advent series called the Advent Story will have a passage from the prophet Isaiah. But Isaiah, here's a little Bible 101 on Isaiah. And if you don't know anything about Isaiah, totally cool. So we're probably all learning something this morning. But Isaiah has 66 chapters. So you can think of Isaiah... It's kind of a mini Bible because the Bible has 66 books. And yet there's two Isaiahs. This is important to understand. One wrote earlier, we refer to him commonly as Isaiah of Jerusalem. And Isaiah of Jerusalem uh, wrote pre-Babylonian exile. So he's warning the Israelites, stop doing that and following other gods and selling your souls to stupid stuff, and they didn't listen. So uh, the first part of Isaiah, the first uh, 39 chapters, and that's how many books we have in our old testament that's why it's like a mini bible is a lot of woe and a lot of warning and a lot of calls to repentance and they didn't listen so the babylonians came in ransacked jerusalem destroyed the temple took away the best and the brightest 700 miles to 70 years of babylonian exile left the rest of them behind in a demolished city and a ravaged land so then we have this kind of gap and then we have isaiah of the exile and he's totally different, because if you've gotten through the 39 chapters of Isaiah, you're really depressed. And then all of a sudden, at chapter 40, and for the next 27 chapters, which is the amount of books in the New Testament, we have a lot of hope. And we, we talked about we talked about two weeks ago, right? You can tell the story of Scripture with trees. And out of the desert, out of the barren ground, the promised seed comes, and bringing a new tree of life. And this is the kind of the, and you have these songs, they're called the servant songs in Isaiah. And he's giving us Uh, predictors and templates and characteristics of what this promised seed will look like. And it's very hopeful. In between the two, about 150 years between the two, is how's the prophet Jeremiah. So Jeremiah got the horrible duty of being, being there as the prophet in Jerusalem before the Babylonians came, and he's telling anyone and everyone they're coming and repent, and no one listened to him. They got so tired of hearing Jeremiah that they put him in a jail cell to shut him up. No one wanted to listen to the poor guy. God, when he called Jeremiah to his prophecy, he said, I want you to do this and no one's going to listen to you. Go get (laughs) him. How do you like that? as an assignment. And Jeremiah, rightly so, is called the weeping prophet because he's weeping for the people. He sees what's coming. He sees where their sin is going to lead them. And yet, Jeremiah is is not without hope as well. So we're going to start with Jeremiah. So he's kind of housed between our two Isaiahs. And then we're going to look at the passage Dan read from Isaiah of the exile and kind of in there. And both of them will talk about waiting a lot. So here's a taste of Jeremiah from a book that's attributed to him, the book of Lamentations. I just want to give you a flavor of the weeping prophet and kind of how he wrote and what the state of his heart was. All of Lamentations are acrostic poetry. So there's poem after poem after poem. So here, here we go. Lamentations 3, 7 through 12. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He's weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out a cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone and has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows This is the word of the Lord, right? This is not the guy you want at your dinner party. It's like, dude, cheer up a little bit. But here's what I love about Jeremiah, and here's what I love about all scriptures. This is called lament, and I define lament as agreeing with God that things are not right. If I had an opportunity to sit down with each of you for a meal and hear your story, there'd be much in that story that's not right. It's about the brokenness and sin, maybe things that you've done, other people have done to you. This world is not redeemed yet. We know that. And we have laments to call that out, to give us verbiage, to give us prayers. And I love that about the Bible. Like it kind of annoys me about some churches and church people that they're just happy, clappy, smiley all the time because that's not real life, is it? And so we want some of that. We need some of that. But we also need some of this. And we look at darkness and we look at evil and we call it what it is until it's redeemed of the Lord. And the Psalms are filled with laments. And Jesus prayed them. And Jesus lived them. So this is okay, even though it can be unsettling. Perhaps this morning it gives verbiage to some of you in a dark place that you may be in. And yet Jeremiah, although he's the weeping prophet, and he's pretty dark. Uh, he's not without light. And the light in Jeremiah pops like light does against a dark landscape. So we move 10 verses later, and here comes the hope. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of our Lord. Jeremiah is literally pulling himself out of a dark pit of despair. How is he doing that? He's anchoring himself and tethering himself to the character of the God he knows. And sometimes we have to do that. And he's going back to a foundational passage. People reading this passage, Jeremiah, my friend Tim calls it a hyperlink. They would immediately think of this scripture because he's going back to the key scripture in, in the Hebrew scriptures that define who God is. And it's God's self-revelation to Moses in Exodus 34. It says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Jeremiah's like, Yes, things are so dark, and they didn't listen, and the city's destroyed, and the temple's destroyed, and our best and brightest are ripped away. And yet I've not given up hope because I know who my God is. I remember he is the God whose love never fails. That word chesed at the beginning, it's, it's God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. It never quits. It never stops coming for us. And if you're in a dark place this morning, that is a deep encouragement. So Jeremiah is tethering himself to that. And then Jeremiah says, we no longer have land. The Babylonians took it all, and yet you, Lord, are my portion. That's a word for land. You're my territory now, and I anchor to you. He says, I will wait on the Lord, and that it's good to wait on the Lord. And this is unsettling to all of us, myself included, who hate to wait. We see it as wasted time and wasted space. And then here's the prophet telling us, no, it, it's, it's good to wait. Let's go back to the passage. And I want to call your attention to a couple of the Hebrew terms. And uh, those of you unfamiliar with Scripture, and that's okay if you are, the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures are written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. And not everything translates perfectly. That's the, we try to only, when we, when we uh, mention these things, to highlight something that's maybe hidden in the translations. And there are some things hidden there that are very important. So let's go back to it. There's, there's two words uh, for hope or wait. And the, the translators t- translate them interchangeably. So you can go to your go home today and read this passage. You'll see translators translate these words differently. So let me read it again, and then I will define what these words are. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This is the word yahal. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning, great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my person, therefore I will yahal for him. The Lord is good to those whose kavah, there's the other word, is in him. to so the one who seeks him, it is good to yahal or wait quietly for the salvation of our Lord. So yahal and kavah are the two words. Here's what's interesting. There's a number of different Hebrew words for wait, which is what we're talking about today. There's not a Hebrew word for hope. Isn't that interesting? Here's why. Because hope is wait. And wait is hope, for the Hebrew mindset and the, the writers of Scripture, to an act of waiting is an act of hope, and an act of hope is an act of waiting. That's why you could interchange them. I think that that's that opens up a lot in my mind and my heart as I think about waiting. They would say, "Oh, it's not waste of space. It's good because when you're waiting, you're hoping." Mind shift. The writers in the New Testament who were steeped in the Hebrew Scriptures knew this. We see Paul in Romans eight twenty five. But if we Hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. The Old English word, uh, our our word for wait in English comes from the Old English for watch or watchman. The psalmist says, I kavah for the Lord. My whole brain kavahs, and in his word I put my yahal. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning, more than the watchman wait for the morning. I define waiting as hoping in something or someone. Whenever we're waiting... Try this out. Today, when you have to wait and you will, uh, you're hoping in something or someone. You're, you're, you're waiting for a table to open. you're waiting for the traffic to clear. You're, you're, you're hoping that the doctor has good news. you're hoping to hear from someone that you love or maybe someone that you've hurt, you're ready for them to forgive you. you're waiting to hear from them you're waiting for the sun to come up, or you know, I, the other day, our, our uh, Internet went out, and I. I sat there and I stared at the modem waiting for the light to turn green. Like my whole world had stopped. Yeah, maybe you're waiting for that. Maybe you're, you're, you're hoping and waiting that you're not in the line at Target or wherever you shop. You ever get in line behind the person that's right in front of you and they're writing a check? It drives me nuts. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It's the check writer. And that just takes forever. So I'm just like, oh, man. I don't know. Whatever it is, whenever you're waiting, you're hoping. That's what I want us to see. Whenever you're waiting, you're hoping. So, of course, then, waiting is a good thing. In verse 26, the prophet tells us it's good to wait on the Lord. And he combines, again, we don't see this in the English translations, but he combines the word yahal, which is wait, hope, uh, with the word silently or quietly. And the combo of that would connote something from people from the ancient Near East. In the ancient Near East, when you came before someone who was greater than you or in a position of authority over you, uh, you would bodily uh, manifest that by, by probably kneeling in front of that person. So you're, you're submitting to them, you're recognizing who they are, if they're a king or they're royalty or whatever. But then this extra word, quietly, there, there, there is a posture in the ancient Near East when you really recognize that you were low and that person was high and maybe they held their, your life in their hands that you would literally go all the way down and put your mouth in the dust. I'm not going to touch my lips to that carpet because that's gross. But, yeah, I'm not that committed to illustrations. Uh, but that's the idea. I call them mouth-in-the-dust prayers. Have you ever prayed those? Right? You get the call from the doctor or you, you hear about a family member who's got stage 4 cancer. Or you're just at the end of your own resources. And those of us in the Western world that have a lot... We're not there as much as some of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world or throughout history. But you will be. We will be. You have been, probably. Mouth in the dust prayers. It's where waiting ultimately takes us when we're at the end of ourselves and we're like, I don't know where else to go. This is the the transforming way to think about waiting this season as we start our story again, that... The prophets would tell us, and the writer of Scripture said, "Waiting is not a waste. Waiting is not bad. Even though you hate it, it's not a good, it's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. It's actually a gift." You might say, "Well, how is it a gift?" I think it's a gift, uh, and I if you you come here often, you know I talk about this stuff, and 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 uh, I I love brain science. So we're learning so much about how our brains work, and I think it's okay to talk about that as followers of Jesus because God made our brains, so so it, it should all work together. And if you happen to be a brain scientist here, please forgive me, because I'm sure I'm going to say about six things wrong. I'm not a brain scientist, for the record. But I love reading these articles. And I think one of the things waiting does for us is it it changes our minds, literally, in a good way. So again, earlier I referred to we live in this instant gratification world that is literally reshaping the pathways of our brain. We know this. And so, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a study called the Stanford Marshmallow Study. It's a famous sociological study at a, at a Stanford, a guy named a, a psychologist, Walter uh, Miskell. Uh, he, he went into preschool children, and he said, hey, there was a group of them, cross-section of them. He said, I'm going to give you a snack of pretzels and marshmallows, and I'm going to leave the room. And you can have it whenever you want, but if you wait 15 minutes, I will give you a much better one, a bigger one. And, and he went back, and most of them just gobbled it up right away. But a small Portion of them waited so years later he he, he, years later he came back to them that you know there may be young adults at this point and he studied them and he found that the kids who waited in that study performed better academically and were much more better at coping with disappointment and stress there's something about waiting that literally reforms our brain and teaches us and and transforms us in the type of people who are more hardy and and gritty when we use uh, functional magnetic imaging now, it's just brilliant so they can literally look at our brains and see what parts of our brains light up. So I'm going to really kind of dumb it down as best I can do. So we have different large sections of our brain. In the very middle of our brain is, is our ventral uh, striatum. And, and this is kind of the midbrain. It's part of our limbic system. And it's totally devoted to lighting up when we get rewards and pleasures. So whatever your jam is as far as desserts or whatever you get really excited about, whatever it is, like when you encounter that, or when you're longing for it, you may not even have it yet. When you're kind of waiting for it, wanting that, it's just, whoa, whoa, whoa. So if it's chocolate cake, you know, you see it, you're just, your midbrain, your ventral striatum is just like lighting up. For me, it's when I walk into REI, just, just walking around REI. I'm just like, whoa, I need that, I need that. And then we have the front part of our brain, you're, you're probably familiar with this, our prefrontal cortex. And this is kind of the governor of our decisions. It's our reasoning. It's where we kind of say, no, I should probably not have that third piece of chocolate cake. You know, whatever it might be. It's just reasoning for you. It's helping you to have the bigger picture and not kind of have animal brain and just be totally driven by like our wants and our desires. My prefrontal cortex and our is like, my wife's gonna read the credit card statement later and see that fifth thing that I bought that I don't need. And, and so my prefrontal cortex is like, no, don't do that. Here's what's happening in a world of instant gratification. <laughs> to be blunt, our, our midbrain, our ventral striatum has taken the front seat. And we get things so quickly and we're rewarded so quickly that it's literally growing and getting stronger and our prefrontal cortex is shrinking. And that is not good. You don't need to understand brain science to understand that's not good. When we wait, it strengthens that front muscle. It allows us to be people of discipline, to have what the prophets would say, Hokma, skillful living, discernment, all these words in Scripture. I think it's what Paul means when he says, in the way of Jesus, we practice the way of Jesus, our minds will be renewed. Waiting is a gift. Waiting also... Uh, Probably more importantly, teaches us to hope uh, in the Lord. Uh, And this is where we get back to Isaiah, the passage that that Dan read. And if you know any Isaiah, you probably know this one. This is the very beginning of the second part of Isaiah. Imagine reading the first 39 chapters. (laughs) It's just woe and doom and despair and repentance and judgment. and It's so dark. And then here we go, Isaiah of the exile. Do not give up. Do not give up. Remember who your God is. And out of the ashes, beauty will come. And out of the desert will spring new life. And so know that Isaiah 40 starts the second part of the book. And you may have heard it because a lot of times there are plaques in places that people have these verses in their homes because they're wonderful. Let's read it again. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is, unsearch- His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power. To the strong? No, <laughs> he gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths who faint and be weary and the young will fall exhausted. But for those who kava, who wait for the Lord, he shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not be faint. I would say it this way. A waste, waiting is not wasted time. It's sacred space. Waiting is not a waste of time. The, the, the Bible would not see it that way. It would see it as sacred space where God can hone us and shape us in the people he's called us to be. I mean, we could go through almost every major character in Scripture and see this play out. But let's just think of a few of them. Think of Noah, <clears throat> God coming in and telling him to build a large, really large boat in the middle of the desert. Can you imagine? And it took forever. And he had to wait forever. Imagine his neighbors, nice boat, Noah. Right? I mean, it's like, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> and then we have Abraham and Sarah, their promised son. I mean, they were the line of the promised seed. From the promise, they had to wait 25 years until they were old and gray to hold their promised little boy. Moses, that poor guy, he had, a, he had one 40 year stint in the desert and then a second 40 year stint in the desert. I don't know what he did wrong. I mean, that, He spent all of his life almost waiting. David, anointed, you're going to be the next king of Israel for a kid who was maybe, you know, 14, 15, and he passed all of his older births. That had to be a moment. But then he waited how many years? 15 years to become king. And all that time, he was on the run for his life, hiding in caves, falsely accused by Saul. That's where he wrote some of the greatest lament psalms that Jesus himself prayed. Paul, his dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus. Then Paul spent 10 years making tents. He was just put aside, and he was waiting before he started his ministry. We're told in Scripture that creation itself is waiting in expectation, that creation itself is groaning for the return of the king. When we come to Advent season, we see these great characters, Simeon and Anna and Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth and the shepherds and the wise men. They're all waiting. They're all waiting. There's this massive, like, silent period of hundreds of years where God hasn't spoken. And then we open up the beginning of the Gospels and he's finally come. Can you imagine? It's finally here, the promised seed. We've waited so long. Waiting is not wasted time. It's sacred space. In the process of waiting for me and for you, we get stripped of any illusion that we're God. And that may seem strong, but that is the... Foundation of all sin, I believe. That's what happened in the garden. We try to play God. And we have a lot of resources in the Western world. A lot of us have lots at our disposal. And we flirt with that. We only only pray pray, mouth in the dust prayers when things get really, really bad. Whereas that should be our default prayer. So when we're forced to wait, we're stripped of all the things we do to get exactly what we want as quick as we can. And we're reminded that we're not God, and I can't explain to you as your pastor how much of a gift that is, to myself and to us, all of us. The psalmist says, "Be still, and know that I am God." When we're still and we're waiting, we 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 know that He is God. Uh, people who teach lifeguards, especially if you're in water that's like really choppy and really aggressive, they say when you see someone drowning. You almost have to wait until they've given up before you save them. Because if they're flailing and they're wrestling and they've kind of lost their minds, they'll take you down with them. And I think that's a lot of what's happening in waiting when God puts us in positions to wait. And some of you may be there today in your life. I think God's just watching us kind of saying, are you done? Are you done? Oh, you're not done. Are you done now? Are you done? You done playing God? When are you going to let me your God. I think that's what's going on uh, with waiting. So how do we, we don't do this well. I don't do this. Maybe, maybe you're exceptional at it, and you can teach me. I don't think most of it. I think we hate waiting. We try to do everything we can to get out of it. So how, as followers of Jesus, if it's this sacred space that's important in shaping us in the way of Jesus, how do we begin to practice it? How do we learn to wait well? Here's, here's just a couple things. When I, I, I was confronted with my impatience and my lack of ability to wait still after all these years of following Jesus on our recent trip to, to Kenya. I went with my daughter and 13 others. Uh, Emily mentioned that trip. It was wonderful. Uh, but we, uh, we figured out the, the math on the way there from door to door. It was about a 38-hour trip. Ugh. I mean, if you've traveled recently, right? Uh, flight after flight after flight after flight after bus after bus after bus. It's so much waiting, and I just wanted to get there to see those kids and build that playground, and I was frustrated. I, I had to hide it from everybody because I was supposed to be the pastor, so I had to act like oh, I was cool, but I'm like inside like, Urgh! I don't know, Kyle, you're looking at me. I don't know if you, you, you kept your cool. Like, uh, you know. I, all the way back, I hit a tipping point. We were coming out of Africa into Amsterdam, and they told us that it was going to be a long wait. I think we were in that line for like two and a half hours, and I was about to lose my mind. My ventral Australian was just like, raw, And I was, like, thinking very evil thoughts about all the people who worked in that airport. I'm literally on my tiptoes just staring daggers at them, like, you know, like, what's wrong with you? And I think we went through, I mean, Kyle, you can push back on this. I think we went through three or four security checks. I'm like, how many times do you have to check my backpack, really, and take my shoes off and my belt again? And I was feeling that in my body. So here's, and I'm saying this to myself, here's how we can begin to become people who wait well. I think we can begin to, when we find ourselves in those places of waiting, we celebrate them. I know it's counterintuitive, but I'm going to challenge you. It'll happen today. The next time uh, you're stuck in traffic, you're sitting in the doctor's office for a long, long time, and you've seen people that arrived after you go before you, or you're sitting in a security line, or you happen to stand behind that person that's writing a check, or whatever it is. (laughs) The next time and that will, it will happen today, celebrate. Be like, "We're waiting!" Woo! Yeah, we're waiting. You know, don't do that. That'll be really weird. But like internally, right? That's what we want to do, because we're followers of Jesus. This isn't our world. We, don't, we shouldn't hate waiting, because waiting shapes us to be more like Jesus. It creates holy space. And stop. Don't get out your phones. Don't put in your earbuds. Just stop and be quiet. And listen to what's going on in your body, and your heart, and your mind. Ask why you're impatient. What are you hoping in? Who are you hoping in? What's God saying to you? It's sacred space to be honed in the way of Jesus. And let's not bypass this. That's one. Let's celebrate waiting. I think two. Uh, let's 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 practice waiting. We live in this like compulsive, instant gratification world. Let's find places to choose to wait. The the spiritual guru and philosopher Dallas Willard, who I've I've learned so much from, he passed away a few years ago. Uh, he was once sitting down with someone, who was also an author and pastor, That they were like Dallas, you you've known so much, you're kind of the guru on all these things. Like, give me a list. What are the top like you know ten things that like if we practice them, they'll help us be formed in the way of Jesus. And Dallas like, all right. So the guy gets out his pad and he's like, well, number one, uh, ruthlessly ruthlessly eliminate hurry. God's like, oh, that's good. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry, number one. All right, what else? And he's like, that's it. That's it. I mean, have you ever thought about Jesus was never hurried? He was just never hurried. If we want to walk in the way of Jesus, we'll be these counterintuitive people shaped by God to see waiting as a gift. But we've got to train ourselves in that. I have to. We have to practice waiting. Waiting. Did you know when you go to Amazon? I don't this may be true for other places. I saw this the other day. When you have it delivered, you can choose a slower option. Did you guys know that? I've never done it, but I mean, who would do that, right? <laughs> choose the slower option. Like, think of ways that, that, I mean, this is what fasting's all about. This is the great spiritual discipline of fasting. Like, yes, I could have that. I could buy that. I have the ability to. I'm not going to. Just going to wait. What does that look like? I ordered a devotional uh, that arrived the other day called, how, it's, it's one for every day of next year, kind of how to be a, a non-hurried leader. So I'll let you know how that goes when I get into it. Oh, thank you, Emily, thank you. She's, I've got coaches everywhere. It's just so, so wonderful. Um, so yeah, I think you know, you're standing in line today. You, you, if there's a family behind you and a, a, a parent that has like three or four screaming kids, let them go first. What? <laughs> let them go first. Practice. Waiting and then celebrate it. See, okay, what are you doing to me, God? Finally, uh, I think as we wait, this is one of the great misnomers of waiting, especially folks like me who are type A. Uh, we think waiting is like laziness, like you're just sitting around on the couch eating Cheetos and just like doing nothing. That's not the biblical concept of waiting. That's not what the prophets are saying. There is a sense of being able to actively wait. We see this again and again in the parables of Jesus, who is always, go check it out, talking about waiting. He's talking about the parable of talents. So he goes away, and he leaves him with stuff to invest. It didn't go well for the guy who buried it. What does it look like to be waiting? The bridegroom's waiting for the bride. All these, all these incredible stories of waiting and being prepared and being active. We sung a song earlier that connotes the greatest Advent prayer. It's one of the oldest prayers of the church, The Greek word is maranatha. We pray to O come, O come, Emmanuel. The the simple translation of maranatha is come, Lord Jesus. When I'm in my darkest moments, my, my mouth in the dust prayers, sometimes that's all I can utter. It's my guttural prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. But in that, if we realize we are the body of Christ, we're invited into being part of the answer of that prayer. Do we see that? We're not just to sit around. We're to, we're to cultivate through the power of the Spirit, kingdom outposts of goodness and, and beauty and truth. Frederick Beekner, who was one of my favorite writers, he passed away at age 94 earlier this year. Uh, he says it really well. He says it this way. On this planet, at least, church is the only body that for the time being Christ has, which is to say that you and I are the only bodies Christ has. He has no hands to reach out to people except with our hands. No feet to go to them except with our feet. No other eyes to see them with. No other faces to show them his love. So to wait for Christ to come in his fullness is not just a passive thing, a pious, prayerful, churchly thing. On the contrary, to wait for Christ to come in his fullness is above all else to act in Christ's stead as fully as we know how. Going back to the prophet Jeremiah in Lamentations, he ends that little passage that we read earlier saying, the Lord Yahweh is good to those who, who kava for him or hope in him. That root word of kava is kav and it's the word rope. Isn't that interesting? Whenever we're feeling waiting, at least me, I feel a tension like it's a rope drawn tight. But it also, I think, for me, connotes the fact that whenever we're waiting, we're hoping in something or someone. What are you waiting for? Who are you hoping in? Who are you hoping? What are you hoping for? What are you, here's a clear way to say it, what are you tethered to? We're all tethered to something. You're all hoping in something or someone. You're, you're unable as a human not to. The scriptures would say, the prophets would say, all these characters that waited so long for the promised seed to come would say, there is nothing and no one we should hope for other than Jesus. Everything else, and you, you can give it a go. I still give it a go. Give it a go, it'll all disappoint. It'll all disappoint at the end of the day. Jesus will never, ever disappoint. Who is your hope in this morning? I've wrestled with years as I articulate the good news, the story we're in, the invitation to look to Jesus on the cross who is risen, who broke the power of sin and death, and if we look to him, he'll give us new life. I've given that story, I've just lost count, right? And I'm always like messing with language on how do you tell that story well in a way that grabs heart. At the end of the day, after all these years, I've found no better line than to challenge people or rather to invite people to just hang on to Jesus for dear life. I don't know a better way to say it, <laughs> that we should look to Jesus this Advent season. As we enter a new story, the, 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 the calendar in January, pfft, it's just another Roman Greco invention. We're entering our new story now, Advent. We get to relive our story. This year, who or what are you hoping in? My challenge to you today is like, hope in Jesus. Hold on to him for dear life, for he will never, ever disappoint. Amen, church? Amen. All right. Let me pray for us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, thank you for the gift of waiting. I hate it. I'm just being honest. I lament it. It feels like a horrible thing. And yet as I read your word and I watch how you've shaped people in the way of Jesus throughout our history, waiting is always a crucial, central piece. Because when we wait... We're stripped of all of our uh, placing our false hopes on people or things or pursuits or jobs or things that we place our hope in. We're stripped of all those things and we're left to place our hope in you, where it should always be. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning who, who may be praying mouth in the dust prayers, have mercy upon them, God, come Lord Jesus. And for the rest of us that may not be in that place, I think we're in a more dangerous place actually. Because we're kind of playing God, and we're not on our knees, and we're not on our face before you, the holy, righteous, loving, faithful God whose mercies are new every morning. And I say this with fear and trembling, God, but return us to that posture, and bring waiting to our lives if you have to do that, so that we may set our hopes in you, Jesus. And we pray this uh, in his name for your glory and for the sake of the world, all God's people said.